So uh, what's interesting about not just like graduation, but I think all life stages is it seems to be we're always in transition, right? So the other day I was having a conversation with my dad and we were talking about just the kind of the, I guess the season of life that I'm in. And I said, dad, I feel like things are always kind of up in the air. When do things just finally relax and I just get settled? And he kind of laughed and he said, that would be never, because life is just constantly in transition. We're always going from one thing to uh, the next. And so I started to think about all the transitions that we've had in our lives. And if you think back on your life, you have had so many big transitions. Uh, my kids, um, they go through transitions, and it's, it happens when you're young at a really rapid pace, right? Because the seasons go super quick when you're little. And so you go from like diapers to pull-ups to big boy underwear um, to you go from uh, being at home all day to now being in preschool and kindergarten. Then you go from elementary school to junior high and junior high to high school and high school, maybe to college. And maybe from college, you get your master. It's, it's just a season after season of transitions. And this is uh, true of pretty much every arena of our life. You think about relationships, you go through a lot of different transitions. One of the biggest transitions you go from is being uh, single to being married, in which uh, we're going to have, and we've had quite a few of those transitions happen recently, one this week, and uh, Tara got engaged, so we're excited about that. Um, if Ryan does, then we'll really believe in miracles, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. So sorry about it. Shots fired. Not even here to defend himself tonight. Anyway, lots of transitions that we all look forward to probably getting married, having kids. One of the big transitions that many of us would love to experience is moving out of our parents' home, tons of different, uh, different transitions. And so there's a guy named William Bridges, and he wrote a book called Managing Transitions, and he says that there is such thing as a, this thing as a transition cycle, very simple, three-step process. The transition cycle goes like this. Uh, there is some type of ending, and so it could be the ending of a relationship, a job, ending of a, a school, so because you, you graduated, um, maybe because you're getting older and you're transitioning from, uh, you're ending one life season and you're entering into another one. And then after the ending of uh, whatever that is, you go into what's called the neutral zone. And the neutral zone is it's you've ended something, but you have not begun the next thing. And so in this neutral zone, it's usually a lot of confusion, there's emptiness, there's distress, and you may even begin to ask, depending on how serious it is, some big questions about yourself, like who am I, what, you know, why am I valuable, what am I supposed to do with my life? And then after that time of being in the neutral zone, you hopefully enter into what's called the new beginning. And so maybe you new, get the new job, or you enter into a new relationship, or you start that next uh, you know, a, a season of where you go to a new, job, or new, uh, new school, whatever it may be. And the question that I ask myself, or maybe you've asked yourself, is primarily about the neutral zone. Because the neutral zone is oftentimes where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in this in-between place in which we haven't quite gotten there yet, and something behind us has ended, and so we're asking the question, well, what's next? What happens next? What comes next? What am I supposed to do next? And what happens in that neutral zone oftentimes defines uh, what we do with our life and, I think more importantly, um, what motivates us in life. And so primarily, almost always, whenever we're in the neutral zone, even if it's a serious situation, we don't just quit. There's something within us that is motivated to push forward, to enter into that new beginning, to leave whatever it was behind and to strive for whatever is in front of us because we're not just going to give up. 
There's something within us that continues to push forward. And so the question that I was asking was, what is it about ourselves or, um, or about what's around us that continues to push forward? And I think the answer is this, is what we believe about the future or what we have our hope in is what motivates us to push through this neutral zone and enter into a new beginning. So the reason why you didn't give up after she broke your heart or the reason why you didn't give up after you lost that job was because you believed that something was going to change, something was going to be better in your future. You had hope that something was going to uh, make everything okay. And what's interesting about humans is we primarily have five main needs, and one of the main needs that we have is we have to have hope. Humans are shaped by what they think about the future. And so I gave a, I'm going to give you a loose definition. It's kind of a, a, a combination of a lot of different, different definitions of hope, and it's this. Hope is believing that what you are looking for can be found in someone or something in the future. And so it's, I'm not currently where I should be. I'm not currently content or fulfilled or satisfied, but I believe that this person or this thing will bring me that in the future. And hope is, of course, a really good thing because if we didn't have hope, we would be hopeless. We would be miserable. And hope is one of the things that mot motivates us most in life. So my kids, um, specifically Sienna, she has not wanted to go to Sunday school recently. And this has happened like the last three or four weeks, and I kind of get it. She's here all the time. She practically lives here. Plus, she has to go to three services throughout the weekend. It's a long weekend for her. I get that. And so th this weekend, the way that we decided that we were going to get uh, Sienna to go, because last weekend, I was in charge of taking her to class. And as I'm walking through the children's building, she literally is screaming her head off, and I'm dragging her down going, hi, oh, Pastor Cody, hey, how are you? Good. <laughs> Don't mind me, you know, just dragging this one along, and she's losing her mind. So I said, okay, we're not going to do that again. We're going to figure out how to get her to class. And of course, what does every parent do when they're trying to convince their child of something? Bribery, bribery right? Of course, bribery. Sienna, here's the deal. Um, if you go to class today, I will get you a pony, okay? You're going to get a pony. No, we made her a deal, right? There was a crazy hair day out on the patio, and so we said, Sienna, if you go to class, you don't complain, you're a good girl, you're going to be able to go to crazy hair day, and your hair can be pink and all this kind of stuff. And so that motivated her to go to class. Now, what changed in that moment? Did her circumstances change? No, they were still the same. She had to go to class, she didn't want to go. But the thing that changed was now she had something to look forward to. She had a hope that was before her, and it helped her in the current circumstances. And this is what hope does for us, is we see our current circumstances and we deal with our current circumstances either positively or negatively based on what we think about what's going to happen in the future. If we have our hope in something, then we can deal with what's presently happening even when we don't like it. And so what we don't realize is, and oftentimes it doesn't come to the forefront of our mind until it's too late, is all of us are going to have our hope in something. We just can't help it. We predict what's going to happen in the future, or we trust that something's going to happen in the future, and it shapes the way that we live. And so your hope could be in something like a relationship. I know I've seen lots of people in which their entire hope is that they're going to find what they're looking for, whether it's a satisfaction or it's some kind of happiness, in a relationship. And whether they're in a relationship presently or not, they continue to dream that either their current person or this person that they haven't met is going to bring the thing that they're looking for. Other people have their hope in, in uh, finances, is that if I reach this certain number, if I have this kind of uh, bank account, then, then I'm going to have what I'm looking for. 
because I know that something's missing. I'm not currently satisfied in life, and so if I have enough money, then it's going to answer that question. Or it's, you know, you fill in the blank. It's if I can look a certain way, if I can hang out with these certain people, if I can experience this certain pleasure or whatever it might be, then things are going to be okay. And most of us don't realize that we have our hope in someone or something until that person or that thing fails us. Either we get the thing and we're not satisfied and we're disappointed, or that person rejects us or leaves. And so uh, this morning I spoke at our main campus and I mentioned a podcast that I listened to recently. I came across it and it's not a podcast I listened to. In fact, it's kind of embarrassing that I was listening to it. Um, It's a guy named Joe Rogan. He's like the announcer for UFC. And I came across, it was actually on YouTube and I came across this thing and they were discussing uh, something that I found really interesting, which was suicide. Because if you know, in the media this week, you heard that there was a celebrity suicide, and this is one of many that's taken place in the last few years. And so they're having this discussion about why would someone who has so much, I mean, he's got money, he's got fame, he's at the top of his game, um, he's got everything that you and I think that we want. Why, when he has all of those things, would he want to kill himself? And not just true of him, but it's been true of a lot of people. And I loved their answer, because their answer lines up with the Bible, even though they didn't know it. Their answer was, well, I think the reason why he ended up uh, wanting to commit suicide was because he had experienced the ultimate. He had gotten everything that he put his hopes and his dreams in, and when it didn't fulfill, he had nothing left to live for. And see, that's, that's what we're talking about here, is all of us have our hope in something. And either it will fail us because it doesn't actually provide, or it will end up disappointing us because when we arrive or when we experience or when we fulfill, it doesn't get us what we think we're going to get. It's not until we realize when we've lost that thing that what we put our hope in is fragile and fleeting and temporary. And so I think the ultimate example of this is a guy named Viktor Frankl, and he was a survivor of uh, World War II, and he was in a Nazi uh, Germany in a a concentration camp. And he's actually a psychotherapist, and he was put in Auschwitz. Auschwitz? Auschwitz. Auschwitz. That was arrogant. Anyway. So what happened was, he was put in this concentration camp, and as he is observing all these different people, he observed that there was four main responses that people had as they were dealing with this incredibly difficult situation. The four responses were this. One group of people got brutal and cruel to others. They may have entered into the concentration camps very nice people, people that you and I would enjoy being around, but once they entered into this camp and it started to wear down on them, they became nasty and cruel to everybody. The second group of people were people who just gave up. They lost all hope, they had nothing to live for anymore, and so they just ended up dying. An example that he gives of this is uh, there was a senior block leader who was a well-known composer, and he came to Victor and he said, I've had a dream. And the dream was that on this specific date, and the date was uh, March 30th, that that they were going to be let go, that they were going to be freed. And so as that day neared, he um, continued to put his hope in that he would be freed on March 30th. Unfortunately, that day came closer and closer and closer, and there was no signs that they were going to be freed. And so on March 29th, he began running a fever. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. On the 31st, he died. Why? 
Because he had put his hope in, that, in this release date on March 30th, and when it became clear that they were not going to be released, his body just gave up on him. Because there is this weird connection between how we, uh, how we are physically and how we are emotionally. And so if we have emotionally quit, our body will also follow. He had a resistance that he could continue to maintain as he had hope, but when he lost that hope, his body also gave out. The third group was they had hope in their former hopes. Lots of people held on by saying, if I could just survive, I can get my hopes back. And so they had a hope that they were going to get back their former hopes, meaning um, they were going to get back their jobs, they were going to get back their families, they were going to get back their status. And so they had hope in the hopes that they had before. But the craziest thing happened is once they were released, if they made it through the whole thing, they kept their hope alive and they went back and they tried to get their job back or their family back or their economic status back or whatever it might be many of them ended up very disappointed. In fact, they were so disappointed that the hopes that they had previously were now gone, that even after surviving these atrocities, they ended up committing suicide. Why? Because they had lost their hope. He also talks about this fourth group, and it was unfortunately a small group of people. He says, a few prisoners kept their inner liberty, and it pushed them through, and they were able to survive. And so he started to try to figure out why. What was different about this small group of people that are able to continue to push forward? And this is what he said. He said, um, life in camp would tear open the soul and explore the foundations that people build their hope on. The people who were able to stay strong were those who had a hope anchored in something beyond themselves or even this world. So the group that was able to survive, the pretty much worst thing that you could ever imagine, the people that were able to make it through were the people that had not only a hope, but a hope that was in something transcendent, something that was beyond the material world, something that could not be taken away from them. And it's no surprise because as Christians, we are told this over and over and over again in Scripture, is all of us have to have some type of hope. And the only hope that's actually going to be able to sustain us is a hope that cannot be taken away from us. And so uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says this, and if you don't know about the Bible and much about it, Paul, uh, Apostle Paul, he wrote a, a majority of the New Testament, and he's writing to one of his kind of disciples, Timothy, which he kind of says that it's his, his son, his spiritual son, and he says this, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So he says, rich people. That's us, by the way. We are all considered rich people, okay? So in the context of, uh, of the global economy, you and I are very wealthy. We are like the top 5%, if not the top 1% in the entire world. And so he says, us, in this room, stop putting your hope in money. Stop putting it in comfort. Stop putting it in success. Stop putting your entire life and uh, waiting everything on what you have or what you can do or what you look like, but instead put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, this is what Viktor Frankl was talking about. Paul had already said it like a couple thousand years ago. He said, if you wanna have real true hope, you've gotta put it in something that's transcendent, something that will not be taken away. And that only thing can be God. Doesn't matter how smart, careful, connected, rich, or good-looking you are, you will realize at some point that all of those things are fleeting. None of those things are going to last. Best case scenario, you become super wealthy and you get to maintain that wealth for your entire life and then you die and you don't get to take it with you. Best case scenario, you're beautiful at 80. Okay, maybe, I don't know, to somebody, right? 
My wife will be beautiful to me, and I will be beautiful to her. Okay. See, what I'm not saying here is I'm not saying don't strive. I'm not saying don't go and succeed. I'm not saying don't go and become everything that God wants you to be. In fact, we are made to work. We are made to accomplish. We're made to do great things. But the scripture is clear. Just don't put your hope in it because it's not going to get you there. It's not going to get you what you truly desire. So if hope is believing in someone or something that is going to give you what what you're ultimately looking for, I guess my next question is what are we really looking for? What is the thing that you and I desire the most? And I don't think this is a question that we've thought of very often, like what we truly desire. Most of us intuitively know what we want or we think we know what we want, but we've never sat down and said, well, at the core, here's what I really desire. I think if we were going to start listing the things that you and I are really looking for, it would be something like love or justice or purpose or meaning or acceptance, forgiveness, maybe it's some kind of healing And so the following question is, where can I find those things? Am I going to find those things in a relationship? No, there's not a relationship that's that good. Am I going to find it in money? Am I going to find it in beauty and success? No, I don't think any of those things can provide what I'm truly looking for. The only thing that I know that can provide those things is God. Now, I wish I had time to unpack each one of those and how God is the answer to the questions individually, all those questions that we're asking. Unfortunately, I don't have time for all that. So what I want to do is I want to go just one step deeper. I want to go even deeper. So if those are the things that we're looking for, the next question is, why are we looking for those things? What in us desires those things? And ultimately, I think that the answer to this question is going to be the answer to those other questions as well. So this is actually my my sixth time speaking this weekend, so I'm a little tired. And I spoke on Friday night and Saturday morning at our men's retreat up in the mountains. And it was really cool. It's a bunch of dudes up in the mountains, and we're, we're having a great time. And, and uh, I thought a great topic would be to talk about, you know, what is our role? What is our role as men, especially as fathers and husbands, and how is that supposed to look biblically? And so I began to kind of lay out the biblical case for manhood. And some of the things that I pointed out, probably pretty obvious, but things that we needed to be reminded of. And our role and our job for our family is different things like one, I said, is protecting them. Uh, I had the opportunity a couple times to go on safari. And safaris are pretty cool because you get to go see all of these animals. And you've probably seen pictures of it before. You're in the open air, uh, like Land Rover. And the ones that we had, they didn't have a roof. And then they didn't have the, all the windows were down. And so you could stand up and you could look at it. And then we had this really cool moment in which there was a cheetah. And the cheetah jumped up on the roof. And then I like tried to pet the cheetah. It was very cool, okay? I have all my fingers still. And in, in that moment, I had all of my trust, not in myself, because I didn't know what I'm doing. I've never been around cheetahs and elephants and things like that but in the guide that was with us. Because he's from there. He knew. He had these signs. And there would be times in which he would go, I don't like the way that this animal is, 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 is watching us or is, is disposition right now. And so he would avoid that animal or he would avoid this pack or whatever. And he was constantly watching over us, constantly protecting us because he knew and he saw things that we didn't see. And so I would always ask permission, hey, are we cool? Can we do this? Can we do this? And he'd make sure that he's, he's cool with everything because his job was to protect us. See, that was men's job as well, or fathers' jobs of their kids, especially, um, especially Christians, is we're not only supposed to be protecting them physically, but we're supposed to be protecting them emotionally and spiritually. When we see things that they don't see, we have to protect them from those things. 
Hey, you know what? I, I don't think you should be hanging out with those people. I know they're fun, they're great, and you're gonna have. I just, you know what? I don't think they're a good influence. You know, I, I don't think that you should uh, you should be watching that because you know I think it's gonna do something to your heart, and you don't think it's a big deal, and you don't notice it. But I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to protect you from that. I remember I was so annoyed with my parents growing up because I was like, you're so overprotective. We used to have, um, back in the day, this thing called, uh, it was actually called The Warehouse. It was like a, I think it was called The Warehouse. It was uh, where they sold CDs and stuff like that. It was like down in Seal Beach. And I wanted so bad in fifth grade, uh, the Green Day tape, Dookie, okay? That was, every kid had it. Everybody was jamming to it. I was like, Oh, I have to have it. And so I'm like, Mom, can I have this thing? And you know what she did? She went down to the store and asked the manager, can I listen to this tape first to see if my, my son can listen to it? And I'm like, no, okay. Let's just go with Weezer instead. It's fine. There's no cussing in that one. You know, like, because she, she saw her job as being a protector. Her job was to protect my mind and my heart and my soul, not just protect me physically, but protect who I'm becoming, also, I think specifically dad's jobs are to lead and fight for their family. Now, of course, women are supposed to partner in this, and so it's not like solely the guy's job, but I wanted to challenge these guys to lead their families and fight for them. So that means to step up, especially as the spiritual leader. I think too often it's the women who initiate the prayer time, who drag their kids to church, who make sure that they're doing Bible studies or in some type of groups. And I said, guys, we gotta step up and we gotta lead. We gotta make sure that we're being the example, that we're setting the standard for what it looks like to be Christians in this household. And you gotta fight for your kids, fight for their souls, fight for their hearts, and make sure that you are doing everything you can in order to bring them into a relationship with Christ. Yes, they're gonna make their own decisions. They may reject him, but you have to do everything you can to lead and fight for them. And then finally, I challenge them to love and encourage. If you have a daughter, you need to take that daughter out on dates. You need to hold her hand. You need to cuddle with her. You need to tell her that she is beautiful because there's gonna be some guys that are gonna come along and if you haven't done it, they're going to. And they're also gonna manipulate that relationship. And she's gonna be constantly searching for this approval and this worth that she never got from you. And so you have to tell her these things. And if you have sons, you need to tell those sons that they are enough. Because every guy is always asking the question, am I man enough? Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Do you think I'm valuable? And if you don't tell him that he is enough, that you are proud of him, he's going to live the rest of his life with this little voice in the back of his head trying to prove that he is somebody. So dads, it's your responsibility to love and encourage them. And unfortunately, we know, many of us know the consequences of living without a father. Either the da our dads ran out on us or they were just weak and they ignored us and they didn't invest in us. And the consequences of having a, a, a life without a father, or at least a strong father figure, the evidence is overwhelming. I don't probably need to tell you, but when you grow up without a dad, the consequences of it are things like low self-esteem, we're angry, depressed, we have relational conflict, especially in our own marriages, substance abuse, incarceration, behavioral issues. All of those things are consequences of not having a strong father figure in our life, and we know this. But if you think about the lack of having a father has those kinds of effects on our own life, can you imagine what happens when we lose our heavenly father? Because that's what's happened to us as a human race. The reason why we're seeking all of those things that I referenced earlier is because all of us on a cosmic scale have daddy issues. 
all of us. The reason why we continue to seek out our value and our worth and fulfillment and love and relationships is because all of us have cosmic daddy issues. Because what happened was when sin entered the world, and sin is just us rejecting God's authority over our our life, us rebelling against him and running away, when that happened, and it's happened to every person who's ever lived, when we decided to run away from God, we lost this source of where we're going to find all all these crucial things to our life. And so when we lose these things, we go through our entire life now asking and looking for something that we can't find in anything else. And so we're never content, we're never satisfied, we're never at peace. And this is where Jesus comes in, because Jesus says, you know, the thing that you're truly looking for is reconciliation with your heavenly Father. That's the only place you're going to find this fulfillment that you're looking for, this true hope. And so what happens is Jesus comes, and this is the, the heart of the gospel, is Jesus comes and he lives the life that we should have lived, and he has the relationship with his heavenly Father that we want And yet he comes and he takes the punishment that we deserve. He dies on the cross and he is severed relationally from the father where the father turns his back so that we can be reconciled with God. He trades places with us. See, we should be uh, disconnected from God. We should be punished by God for our rebellion. And yet Jesus, who doesn't deserve any of it, takes both so that we can get what he deserves. You know what he deserves? He deserves praise and honor and glory from the father. That means he's done everything right. He deserves a celebration. He deserves a party. He deserves that right relationship with the Father, and that he gives it up so that we can have it. And so here's how this works, is because we believe that uh, being reconciled to God allows us to, uh, to live with a hope that is transcendent, a hope that is beyond our circumstances. And so if you remember either being back in school or you currently are in school right now, one of the only ways that you made it through finals is because you knew there was a celebration called summer afterward. And you were able to deal with the late nights and all the studying and all the things that you had to memorize. You were able to do it in light of knowing that there was going to be something afterward that you had to look forward to. And this is what being a Christian is like, is we have something that we get to look forward to, a celebration, a cosmic, heavenly celebration in which we don't deserve it, but we get it. Why? Because we get what Jesus deserved. And so we're able to live in light of what is coming for for us in the end. We're able to live with hope because we know how this all turns out. This is all possible through the gift of salvation. Jesus says, look, you don't have to do anything to receive this gift. There's nothing that you can do that's good enough, and there's also nothing you can do that's bad enough to to eliminate you from receiving this gift of salvation. But here's what it's going to take. The gift is free. All you have to do is say yes, but it's going to take your life. You're going to have to give over the authority. You're going to have to give over the keys to your life and say, okay, Lord, I want to accept this gift, and the way that I show you that I want to accept this gift is I'm going to allow you to be in charge. You're ultimately my God. You're ultimately the one who gets to make the calls for my life. And with that, we receive not just um, this pie in the sky hope for one day, but we get to live within light of that and have a hope even in tough circumstances. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for how good you are to us. And um, even in the chaos of life and even in kind of the circumstances that oftentimes are not fun and are challenging, um, you give us a hope. A hope that in the end, no matter what happens in the coming days and weeks and years or what has happened in our life, that everything will be made right in the end. 
that justice will be served, that we will be loved the way that all of us know we should be loved, that we will be deemed worthy by our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would give us that hope in these moments and that we feel hopeless, knowing that you ultimately are the one that has made us worthy. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.